Hello and welcome to the Browns Blitz. Today is Tuesday, April 20th. I'm your host, Rod Bloom. Joining me today is my brother, Jeff. How are things going with you, Jeff? Going good, Rod. Looking forward to talking some draft, which is just around the corner now. That's right. And uh, to help us do that, we have special guest back joining us uh, at a very busy time of the year for him. Uh, that's uh, Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. Emery, how are you? I'm doing fine. I appreciate you guys bringing me on the show. Absolutely. Um, I know. Uh, I know you. Uh, I know you love this time of year. I know you work year round at, at this stuff. So, um, so we uh, we just we we're dying to hear what you think of the class and everything, and, and you know, kind of look at the maybe the Browns perspective and so forth. But uh, we're going we're going to do it a little bit different this time. Um, Jeff has uh, Jeff has been diving very deeply into this draft class this year. So. I am going to turn over the uh, the pulpit or the microphone to Jeff. Jeff's going to ask you some questions. Oh, boy. I hope that's not setting the bar too high, Emery. No. Nah. <laughs> I'm, 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 not, I'm not a professional at this, but um, I will say that I've spent a lot more time on this than I ever have in the past. And, that, you know, that's not saying a lot, but um, just based on, you know, what's happened over the last year. Um, I think we, um, you know, we talked about a year ago, Emery, and we were just kind of entering lockdown and we were all figuring out how to use zoom, I think, or at least I was, um, what kind of effect has that had on how you've prepared for the draft? If, if any, you know, it, it hadn't really affected me. The only difference this year is that I wasn't able to go to the different all-star games uh, the month of January, nor work during the uh, during broadcast like I normally do, because the um, pr- primarily the schools that I broadcast, you know, are in the spring, and even in the spring, I was only able to do a couple games because one of the other schools decided not to play. So, uh, yeah. outside of just not traveling, that has been the biggest change. But other than that, it's you know, it's, I've been able to keep my process as efficient as possible throughout just watching film cool yeah I, I just i wonder you know if if players opting out um you know shortened seasons what what kind of a, an, an impact do you think that may have had on teams ability to evaluate players i mean does it does it is it hard to look at a guy from you know 2019 film and project what he's going to look like in 2021 not necessarily. It depends on the position and also at what age was the, the, the guy. Let's say for Panay Sewell, you know, a guy that was 19 the last time you saw him play. So you didn't really right. see a development year this past season. So you really have to project a lot in that regard because he was 19. It wasn't like a junior that opted out this year. So you got hmm. three years of film on him. Uh, so in certain spots, yeah, it was, it has to have been, it had to have been tougher for scouts, but in other spots, it's just business as usual because you are what you are, uh, by the time you get to your junior year, there's no real change in your skill set. Situations may change, but skill set truly doesn't. Okay. 
So as far as that's concerned, then this this year's draft really there there aren't as many or or there aren't any new unknowns um, versus the past. No, not really. Um, I, I don't. Okay. So. Okay. Good. Um, you know, we as Browns fans, we've talked about this a lot. I think are are used to the draft being our Super Bowl. Um, you know, pretty much anybody under 40 years old um, doesn't remember what it's like to be drafting players that we didn't expect to start immediately. Um, so we're we're kind of having to be retrained how to think about the draft this year, I think. So it's kind of good that, that we talk about um, measuring expectations a little bit. And I hope you can give us some, some help with that. Um, you know, how to, how to approach a draft um, thinking, not necessarily about, you know, how a guy is going to impact us this year, but maybe how he's going to impact us next year. And in, and in the following years, um, I was, I was just thinking about a couple of guys that, that, you know, we hear thrown out a lot as, um, potential picks for the Browns at the bottom of the first round. Neither of these guys may be there. Both of them may be there. Um, but people have tended to gravitate toward the linebacker position for the Browns, obviously a, a, a huge area of need last season. Um, and I just want to get your thoughts on, on, uh, Zayvon Collins, um, and uh, I, I'll call him J-O-K because it's easier to say than his, his full name, uh, Karamoa out of um, Notre Dame. Um, both of these guys are kind of um, hybrids, I guess you would call them, or, or in the case of Collins, more of a throwback. Um, if you're Andrew Barry and, and you're faced with the, the difficult choice of both of those guys being there, wh- which one do you think is, is going to be a better fit for the type of um, safety-heavy defense that we are planning to operate, at least we think we're planning to operate? Well, you know, it depends because I think the Browns have good depth at that position already. If you're planning to play heavy safeties, um, you already have Ronnie Harrison, you got Grant Delpit coming back healthy, and you brought in John Johnson. Uh, so I, I would think that safety may be a little bit stacked in, in that regard. And I kind of like Phillips, the linebacker you drafted last year out of LSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Taki Taki made some plays, so you expect him to you know, continue to grow. Uh, and, and Anthony Walker, you guys bring over from Indianapolis. But if you had to choose between the two, I, I would probably lean to more towards someone like Taven Collins because he's, he's a good coverage guy. He's good. Um, as a Sam backer, he's good as an inside backer. He's good as a weak side backer. He can play an assortment of positions at the second level. And if you want, you know, him to play that nickel backer, you're kind of in good shape because he can cover. He, he, you know, he's got good football instincts. And I know Jeremiah Wusu Koromora has uh, the athleticism and and um, you know the ability to match up. But I think there's if you're trying to view him in the scope of being a safety, I think there's. Um, I don't think he'll be able to play because there's too many, you know, quality safeties are already on, on the Browns mm-hmm. roster. In my opinion. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, so just replicating up, almost duplicating efforts. It, right. Right. Gotcha. Um, 
Okay, so so just staying on linebacker for a second. Um, assuming the Browns went another direction early in the draft, and and you know we were looking for somebody to augment our linebacker room. Um, who were the guys in in the middle part of the draft that um, would would you know, for instance see playing time ahead of a Jacob Phillips maybe or maybe not necessarily this year but in the next year or two um, and I'm thinking of guys that you know we hear names like uh, Jabril Cox um, at the sort of the high end of that you know second third round um, or guys like Chaz Surratt you know maybe closer to the third or fourth round. So Rott probably would be my uh, preference there because he's a very good athlete, um, former quarterback, and, and like, you know, Taven Collins can play across the board. He can play any one of the three backer spots. And so you get someone that, that has a good understanding of offensive football because of his background as a quarterback. So, you know, I, I would probably lean that way more so than, than anything. Cox, to me, is a little bit more one-dimensional. Um, you know, solid cover guy. You know, he can find his way to get his hand on a couple on on a lot of passes, which is good. So he he'd be a almost like a sub package player. But if you're looking right. for someone that can stay on the field, I, I believe Surratt gives you more of what you want uh, than a guy like um, Cox. Okay. Cool. Um, okay, so jumping back to um, the early part of the draft. Um, obviously, we, we've had some changes over the last couple of weeks. Well, actually, the last week or so um, on our the defensive line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Last couple days. Big yeah. changes the last day or two um, on our defensive line. I mean, going into last season, um, Rod and I talked a lot about, um, you know, our defensive line as, as being the, the anchor of our defense. You know, we were really excited about, you know, we're going to set a team sack record um, with these guys. Um and now, you know, looking back, we're, we're basically other than Miles Garrett, um, that defensive line is is gone. Um, we're replacing three of our four starters. Um, so we've added Jadavian Clowney. Um, we've got a couple of guys, um, you know, um, added to that that uh, defensive tackle position, um, and Andrew Billings, who opted out last year, and. Um, we brought in Malik Jackson. Um, then we ha- had Jordan Elliott from last year's draft. Um, who do you who do you see as a guy who would really impact that group this year? Um, that would be there at twenty six. I would say if you're trying to go D tackle, maybe um, Davion Nixon out of Iowa or Levy Onwuzurike out of Washington. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how Jordan Elliott progresses this year. Big fan of, of what he did at Missouri. Um, but defensive tackle outside of those two that I mentioned, uh, you know, that that would be the only ones you could probably sell me on on day one at, at pick 26. Okay. So if I go that route, if, if I'm Andrew Barry and, and I take one of those guys early, um, now my other big need is – cornerback um rod and i have talked a bit about you know we've we're, we're putting a lot of weight on greedy williams coming back on grant delpit coming back in our secondary um i'm a big fan of having some insurance policies back there um 
if I'm taking one of those D tackles early and now my next pick is at 59, assuming we don't move up or, or, you know, alter our draft position in any way, um, that puts us down into the mid middle range of the cornerbacks that are going to be available. Right. Um, obviously most of the top guys are, are going to be gone early in the second round, I think, but it seems like there's, there's probably 15 or so cornerbacks in this draft that project as fairly near-term starters. Right. So who do you think would be the right guy for us? Um, knowing that we have, um, in terms of uh, a need at, at, the, at the number two cornerback uh, outside, we've got, we brought in Trey Hill or Troy Hill, excuse me, to uh, play the slot and, and to fill in at times. Denzel Ward gets hurt from time to time. Um, who's the guy that, that you, you would really like us to zero in on at 59? If he's still around, I, I would probably go with Cameron Bynum out of Cal. I just like his ball skills. I like his aggressiveness. I like how he's able to, to play well and press um, and just has the, the right temperament and mindset to play out there on a the perimeter. I think he's one of the more underrated players at the position in, in the class. You know, you also look at uh, Zach McPherson out of Texas Tech, another athletic guy that has good football skill set. You know, someone that you could tell played a lot of football coming up and, and it shows out there on the field. And so for me, it's just about finding guys that can take the ball away that, that match up athletically. But I would probably zero in on Cameron Bynum if he's there because he has the length, he has the athleticism, and the ball skills to, to really be a, an impact player. Okay. Where do you have him rated versus um, the, the two corners from Georgia, uh, Stokes and Campbell? Bynum, I have a higher grade on Bynum. I believe Bynum is one of the more uh, technically sound players. And for so for me – I'm not as high on the uh, Georgia guys. Georgia guys have, you know, really good athleticism, right? Okay. They can match up. But right now, Bynum is my third boundary corner. Um, okay. Then McPherson is fourth. Then you go Calvin, Joseph, and Newsom. And then you get to Stokes at number seven. Um, but the the gap between Bynum and Stokes, in my opinion, uh, is, a, is, a big, is a big one. So, you know. Okay. Uh, Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky could be a guy that, that, you know, he has upside, I believe. He was an LSU transfer, um, had a really solid, you know, season with Kentucky. He looked good on tape. Newsom, I know people are high on. He may go in the first round. Uh, but, you know, right. I, I would probably zero in on Bynum if you're talking about pick 59. A lot of people have us taking Newsom at 26. Um, and I'm also seeing um, – some mocks where Caleb Farley actually falls that far because of the back issue. What are your thoughts on those two guys in, in the first round? I love Farley. I, I got a high grade on Farley. Farley is my number one, actually boundary corner. Um, okay. If he checks out medically to be good to go. And like all reports are saying, he should be ready to go for July and August. That that's the, that's the guy to get. Because hmm. he has, you know, the the athleticism, the premier ball skills, the A plus instincts, and he could travel. So that's another element of his game. He's not relegated to one side. If you want him to match up and travel inside with someone, he can do that. You want him on the boundary side or field side, doesn't matter. He can travel 
as well. You just hope that he's healthy. And I think because of what right. just happened with Greedy Williams, it may sh- it may put the Browns in a situation where they want to shy away from someone that may have a, a, a medical risk. Yeah. Right. Right. I can tell you, I had that surgery, microdiscectomy, 20 years ago. Um, I was a much older guy than Caleb Farley and probably not in nearly as good a shape, but it's not something you just immediately bounce back from. Um, so there's a couple other areas I'd like to get your opinion on, um, Emery, bef- before we let you go. Um, two, two places that we're actually looking for help um, that you know most people aren't thinking about right now. Um, and it's on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, most people are sort of projecting their Browns to go real defense heavy this year. Um, but there's a couple areas that I think we're going to be looking for some help um, in the next couple of seasons. Um, so I'm thinking, in, you know, we've got uh, picks at, at 89, 91, and 110 that are kind of bunched close together. Um, and we're looking, I think, for some guys that, that can step in next year, maybe play a little bit this year, but step in next year and the year after. Um, and those areas would be uh, on the offensive line. Now, obviously, we, we again, the strength of our team was the offensive line last year, uh, but we were, we're really lacking in depth, um, particularly not knowing um, Wyatt Teller's uh, contract status beyond this season. Um, so are there some offensive tackles or maybe guards that you've looked at um, that you would see as um, guys who we could develop um, over the next year or two um, to sort of fill those roles. And I'm, and I'm thinking guys like, you know, again, at the high end, somebody like Jackson Carmen who projects to the right tack, right tackle or right guard um, or a guy I really have kind of been fascinated with is James Hudson, Hudson out of Cincinnati. If you're talking guards, I'm a big fan of Tristan Hodge out of BYU. Um, and if he's there, you know, when when, the, when you had those clusters of, of you know, picks, Hodge would be a guy that I, that I definitely would target because he was just phenomenal on film. You saw a lot of time that Zach Wilson had back there in the pocket. You also saw just the amount of effort he showed in the run game, which created a lot of space for Algeri to do what he does out there running the football. So Tristan Hodge would be the guard that I would target. And I like two tackles. I, I like Josh Ball out of Marshall. I think he's outstanding um, and underrated. And I also also feel as though someone like Deontay Smith from East Carolina could be a nice target as well. He's a linear guy, but he did add some weight when he got down to the senior bowl. So he went from 275 to about 295. And Josh Ball at 6'7", 309 was outstanding for for the Thundering Herd. And you talk about someone that can do it well on both ends. They ran a lot behind him, and he was a left tackle. So that tells you all you need to know about what he brings to the table. Robert Jones from Middle Tennessee State would be excellent as well. So he played right tackle for Middle Tennessee State. But I think he's best suited to kick inside that guard. But you look at someone that had um, Jedrick Wills-type skill set, I think that's Mm -hmm. someone also that you want to keep an eye on. Um, So there's a – I think this is a a really – deep group of prospects at both guard and tackle. So I'm excited to see how it all, how, how it all lays out. Do you think um, 89 to 110 is, is, is realistic for some of those guys or most of those guys? Is that where most of them will end up going? Well, I don't know. You know, it all depends on, you know, who gets drafted earlier, you know? Right. So, 
I can only right. evaluate yeah. the talent. You know, I can't I can't guess and you know play Runs. like I, I know where guys are gonna go. <laughs> Anybody that does that is lying to you. Um, so, <laughs> so all all we could do is just get all we could do is just evaluate the talent and where you know wherever they get picked. I could tell right. you how good or how bad the player is. Um, but I will say this in that regard: if wherever whoever starts, uh, I guess whichever position gets the run on early, we know we're going to see a run on quarterbacks in probably the top six, right? Then yep. we'll probably see a run on, you know, the top tier tackles, maybe like three or four tackles. Then we'll see probably a, a mix of skill players where you, you'll see a Kyle Pitts and uh, the receivers start to go. Then you'll start to see some premier corners go. So what I said all that to say, you know, that's like 15 or so positions. So what you're doing it's pushing everything down 15 or so slots. We know running backs probably going to go in uh, abundance in the second and third round. So, yeah, you may get to that third round range, fourth round range, and still have some really good offensive linemen um, uh-huh. on the board unless you see a, a run on old linemen start early and you see guys that probably were slated to be in the second round going the first round. You know, So yeah. it all depends on which position gets that early run. Okay, fair enough. Um, and the yeah. last one I want to ask you about is wide receiver. Um, obviously, we have a couple of really talented guys um, who are making a lot of money for us right now. Um, and I think developing a third guy has to be pretty important to us over the next couple of seasons as we start to face some salary cap issues. Um, who do you see in that same sort of range who can give us some size and some speed? Well, there's a ton of guys. Uh, I think size and speed – is in abundance in this class. You know, I'm a big fan of what uh, they bring to the table down there at at UAB. There was a couple of guys at UAB that were really good athletically. Um, And starting with their first, Austin Watkins, you know, junior. He's 6'3", 210, blistering speed. Isaiah McCoy, local kid from Kent State, um, can definitely fly. You look at Josh Bebe out of Illinois. So you can, there's, again, there's a lot of, these big body guys that can run, um, that can hold their own. Some on the outside, but we know you got versatile options in both Landry and Odell Beckham that can play inside or outside. So you can kind of, you know, play with with the the you know the positioning of these receivers that I mentioned: McCoy, Watkins, and Imora Bebe. Uh, all have enormous speed, athleticism, and I think they do a great job of playing the ball when it's in the air. I'm I'm rooting for Isaiah McCoy. Uh, by virtue of the fact that he comes from my alma mater, and we don't have a lot of football things to be proud about down there. So, <laughs> not since Josh, <laughs> not since Josh Krebs, not a whole lot, huh? right? Right. Um, okay. Hey, Emory, I know you, we've kept you a while, and and um, we don't want to monopolize your time here. Um, yeah. Is there is there any other parting wisdom you want to give us Browns fans about the upcoming draft? You know, I, I like the Browns roster. Uh, I think the Browns have a really good roster in the secondary, to be honest. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at that secondary being all health permitting, being really good, that, that helps you out in today's game. The offense is going to be the offense with Chubb and Hunt and that offensive line and those, you know, those tight ends you guys have. I, I like the, the Browns set up. They're built to sustain success. And so when you're able to run the football, play good defense, you're going to be in a lot of games. So we'll see if if that can continue. You know, the defensive line, like you said, is going to be the challenge to try to find some youthful 
uh, energy to, to inject in there. You don't know which Jadevian Clowney you're going to get. And so there, yeah. there is some questions on the mm-hmm. defensive line. But, you know, if you're running the football and you're playing a, a position game, the field position game like they did last year, and granted, their defensive line was really good last year, uh, but I do think the Browns being in the playoffs is, is going to be something that's going to not be, uh, you know, fly by night. They're going to be consistent. Now, how far they go will depend on how well Baker can continue to progress. And, you know, maybe that defense gets a little bit more aggressive up front. So we'll see. But right now, I think the Browns can go into this draft not looking for saviors and looking for more so, uh, you know, good rotational players to help fill out the roster. Amen to that. All right. Emory, Emory, we appreciate your time. Thank you guys for having me on. Really appreciate it. Sure thing. Emory, uh, everybody can follow you at F Ballgame Plan. Uh, just real quick, do you have? Are you doing the mock drafts this year? No, this year I'm not. I've been I've been tied up significantly doing a lot of different things um, with regard to football game plan and CBS Sports HQ. So didn't have the um, the time to to put together a seven round mock. Plus, I think this year kind of pushed it back a little bit because of uh, you know we got the late start, I believe, and you know it's a free agency, yeah. and then it just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah. Okay. Well, everybody can uh, definitely give you a follow there and catch up with all that you're doing. But we we uh, appreciate you stopping by and and uh, filling us in on all the good stuff, Emory. Great talking to you. Thank you, Stay guys. Well, Emory. Thank you. I look forward to being out there in Cleveland for the draft. I will be on day three coverage for CBS Sports HQ. So looking forward to it. Sounds great. Excellent. Well, there was a lot there, Jeff. Right. A lot to unpack, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, um, you're, you want to uh, go back to any of the guys that Emery talked about um, or any of anything that he said in particular and, and discuss? Um, is there any anything, you know, special, top of your head that kind of stood out that he talked about or any of the players? Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of um, that discussion of our first two picks, um, one of the things that I've sort of been going back and forth on is when you look at the the defensive tackle class, um, I mean, in, in terms of guys who are rated as potential starters, mm-hmm. it's only five or six guys. Right now, um, cornerback, yeah. as we mentioned, is there's a lot more guys that are that are viewed right now as as potential starters. Um, so what I'm wrestling with is which need is more important for us to fill right now? Um, do we take a cornerback high and hope that one of those top D tackles falls to fifty nine? which it's, it's possible because, you know, again, it's just not a really highly rated class. Um, you know, so maybe you do end up with, you know, a Milton Williams or um, I thought it was interesting that um, Emery mentioned um, Nixon. Um, yeah. Davian yeah. Nixon out of Iowa. Um, mm-hmm. guy, guy I've kind of been watching a little bit. Um, 
Um, I would love to see one of those guys at 59, but I'm just kind of concerned that we're going to get to 59 and none of those top D tackles are going to be there. Um, in which case, I think Andrew Berry just shifts gears and he looks at, you know, the best available player, right? But um, in terms of trying to fill our needs in this draft, I think the top two are now cornerback and defensive tackle. You know, last time we did a podcast, it was edge or, or defensive end and cornerback, and that's flipped now based on um, adding Clowney and releasing Richardson. So um, right. if we're trying to solve all the Browns' problems, um, to me, that's the interesting conversation to have. Which position do you take first? Yeah, well, let me ask you this. Which which position is most likely to be there closer to 59? To where you're going to have the quality guy that you want at 59? Well, I, again, I think there are a lot of cornerbacks. It may More not corners. be... Yeah, it, it may not be the cornerback that, that, you know, you identified as being the perfect fit. Okay. I mean, Emory, if, if Emory's saying it's, it's Cam Bynum, um, you know, maybe it's somebody else. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like um, a guy named uh, Fatu Melifonwu. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kevin Joseph. Those are guys that that are projected to be there around 59 most places. Uh, but man, every, it's so weird when you look at all the different projections. I mean, sometimes guys are are rated as first rounders, and sometimes they're rated as third or fourth rounders. And and that's kind of what I was trying to get at with Emory is 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 that unusual because of what's happened this year, or is that just kind of normal for how players get ranked? in advance of the draft and and you and i just have never gone really that deeply into you know players uh, in the you know second round and beyond and here's my thought on that uh, you've got a lot of guys who opted out or didn't play a lot of games last year so so there's you know less film more reliance on guys prior seasons mm-hmm. you've also got a lot of guys you know you're going based on they're pro days at home where right. everybody's right. running a four, three or four, four. And, right. You know, and, and, you know, and everybody looks like a first rounder. So right. there's a lot more equality, you know, across the board, just amongst these guys to start with, um, you know, guys look a lot more generic based on those things. So, so I think it takes a better eye to pick out, you know, which, which the top prospects are. I mean, obviously, you know, you still know what which guys are the definite first rounders. But beyond that, you know, I, I think it's I think it's harder to to decide if a guy's a second rounder or a fourth rounder. And it's you know we're not going to know that until you know until these guys pick. Right. Um, my my thought on the Browns is that I think Andrew Barry's going to let the draft kind of come to him but he's probably got you know obviously they've got their board and they've probably got two three guys they really really like that are hoping will be either there at 26 or maybe make it down to to 20 
23 to where they can try to go up and get them. You know, maybe they've already talked to some teams, uh, you know, to see if there would be a possibility of, you know, of a trade, um, you know, just to test the waters. Right. But but I the way I think is, is they may have, you know, I'm sure they've got, and I'm definitely simplifying things here, but they've probably got two or three plans in place. And realistically, they've oh, probably sure. got 100 plans in place. But, right, right. Um, <laughs> You know, but, you know, one plan might be, okay, we're going to wait and, you know, and if this, if this uh, DT that we want falls to, to 26, we're going to take him. Okay. And, and, but if, but if this, but if one of our top four corners is there, we're going to take the corner over the DT. Okay. Well, if they take the DT, then they've already decided that they are going to use some, some of their draft capital to move up in the second round to go get the you know to go get a top corner because they figure that that's a need that they definitely want to address whereas they might feel that if they take the corner in the first round that it's not worth moving up in the second round to go after the DT no i think that's that's very good you points know, you know so um but I, you know, I played with the uh, I played with the draft value charts just a little bit. Uh, you know, you mentioned trading with the Jaguars, mm-hmm. um, and you know, there's other teams, obviously. So the Browns, uh, I looked at the Browns trading with the Jags and ending up at um, one one twenty five and two thirteen. Okay. Um, you know, and obviously they could say a 126. This would put them at 125. It cost them 20 points, which is a fifth rounder, their fifth rounder to move up to, to 125. Um, you know, and they would move from, you know, all the way up from, you know, um, from or the 259 up to uh, 245. So they're moving up 14 spots in the second round. And it would cost them, it would cost them their two third rounders and their fifth, sixth, and seventh. They would still have their two fourth rounders. So they would end up right. with, with their first, their second, and their two fourth rounders. And, and they would get their two studs that they wanted, um, you know, a guy at 125 and, and a guy high in the second round at 13, 213. Um, and they would still have uh, picks four, uh, 4.5 and 4.8, you know, to go after, you know, the offensive lineman that they want and whatever else, whether it's uh, right, right, wide receiver. receiver or whatever else. Yeah. Right. Um, um, don't the Jags also have, don't they have another pick in the second round? I think they have a lower pick. Yeah. And obviously it, the lower the Browns go in the second round, you know, they can, then you're looking at them keeping a third rounder, you know, um, you know, and, and so forth. So, um, even if they even if they stayed at 126, you're talking about them keeping their fifth rounder, and that gives them five picks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just depends what they want to do. But they've got enough capital to move pretty much anywhere they want in that second round, and still keep a few picks. It just depends on if they want to keep their their two third rounders, a third and a fourth, two fourth rounders. You know, I mean, like you said, they're that those those picks are bundled enough together that that they're all fairly equal 
you know, a low third and, you know, two, um, actually right. two low thirds and a high fourth. So, um, right. you know, you, you would Here, probably feel pretty scenario. good if they kept one. Go ahead. I was thinking of this scenario also where, you know, maybe if we're sitting at 26 and we're saying, geez, there's, you know, a bunch of players there that we view as pretty much all the same. Um, we could trade down um, with the Jags to uh, their first pick in the second round, which is 33, 33. and yeah. move and move our uh, second round pick up to um, their pick at 13, which is the 45th overall pick, where we were at the 59th overall pick. And I think that would cost us a third rounder. Maybe a little something else. Okay, so then you're talking having two one and two thirteen, and 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 then having the rest of your picks other than the third. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean that, now that what makes that, sense. What what that does for us is gets us into um, that range mid second round, where I think most of the second tier cornerbacks are going to go and a lot of other really good players as well my my concern yeah, is yeah. is once we get down to the bottom of the second round um it's going to be slim pickings for us in in areas of need and mm -hmm. the expectation for guys to come in and be able to contribute in year one is is significantly lower i think than guys who are graded you know high enough to be first year contributors which, you know, I think first-year contributors in this draft are, are pretty much down through the, the middle of the second round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, the Browns have enough capital to be able to move where they want. I mean, they're, they're obviously not going to wind up with three first-round picks in this draft, but they can, no. you know, they, they, could certainly probably, they could certainly probably get three second-round picks if they really wanted to. You know, pretty right. easily, I think. Um, just well, and that's kind do. of the point, right? We don't we don't need first round picks at this point. Um, you know, aside from the questions around greedy and and Grant Delpit, um, and and being a little thin at the defensive tackle, um, I think this roster is pretty much ready to go and you know i mean i i saw something the other day where somebody said oh this is now a top five roster in the nfl on paper well maybe a little early to you know be evaluating them that way but um yeah on yeah. paper it looks like we've got a lot of these holes filled right so it does we really yeah. can we really you know barry andrew barry really can go best player available at every single pick and and not get hurt right now um but that's kind of what's fun about being fans right is we get to project what the perfect draft would look like you know mm -hmm. it's it's not a lot of fun to say well just you know well, he's the best player we'll take him you know i mean you want to come up with the perfect draft and and that's I, maybe that's why we are always disappointed on draft day <laughs> because we never have the perfect draft but um we can sort of look at at what we think would would fill the maximum amount of needs this year and in the next couple years like we've talked about you know roster transition and where do we need to be developing guys you know it's it's upgrading the bottom third of the roster 
and anticipating future needs. That's what this draft is about right now, in my mind. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, we talk a lot about 26, but you make a good point in trading into the second round because look at the difference in the contract. Right. For a guy who signed in the first round, even even probably at 26, you know, we're, we're used to guys being signed up near the top of the first round, but even at 26, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a pretty good difference between a guy taking a 26 and a guy taking a 33. Yeah, I mean, look you know? at look at what we're paying David and Joku this year versus Nick Chubb. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a year a, apart, it, but yeah, man, it's, it's huge. It's different. So. So if you can get guys in the second round and, you know, if you have a GM like Andrew Barry and you have a good staff who can pick these guys out, why not use that to your advantage and try to get into some of these contracts that are going to be four-year contracts where you're paying these guys a million dollars or less for the next four years. And, you know, and you hit on, you, you hit on whatever, if you draft five guys and you hit on three of them, Man, you're you're really helping yourself with your uh, with your salary cap for sure. And and even if a, only a couple of these mid rounders, you know, I, again that that eighty nine ninety one and and one ten overall picks is sort of the sweet spot um, mm-hmm. for what you know for what Andrew Berry is going to do with this draft. Those three picks. Um, are really looking toward 2022 and 2023 when we're starting to have to make some of those roster decisions based on who gets extended, et cetera. Um, yeah. So, you know, picking guys like um, a developmental offensive lineman who, you know, if for some reason we have to replace somebody, um, maybe JC Treader gets too expensive or, Joel Batonio gets too expensive. Um, or, you know, like we've said, we can't we can't work out the right deal with Wyatt Teller. Um, you know, maybe we're set at tackle for the next two or three years, but drafting a tackle who can come in and step in in two years uh, on the interior and then maybe move out to the right tackle position down the road, okay, is is really thinking ahead. Um, when you look at the middle middle rounds of this draft, and and I think Emory said the same thing that that there's some really interesting guys that project be, to being able to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, available in the later rounds. I think. Yeah, it sounds like he he really likes the class there. So, mm-hmm. and you know, I we've uh, we've talked about it, but you need when when you're looking at making a run. You need quality backups at pretty yes. much across the board. Yeah. You know, you, you need somebody, you need guys who are ready, ready to step in. You can't have your season derailed because you lose one guy and you just don't have a, a solid backup, whether it's, whether look, it's look one of your what, tackles or anywhere. Look what our defense looks like when Denzel Ward doesn't play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a huge drop off when Denzel Ward doesn't play. Um, when Miles Garrett doesn't play, I mean, I think there were a couple of games where, you know, other guys stepped up, but it's still, it's a big, big drop off, you know? Um, 
yeah, that's that's the next evolution, I think, in in the Browns roster. Now that they've got these this core of, of talented guys, um, how do you get? Uh, we we had a guest a few weeks ago. You know, I think it was Coach Tolliver say, you know, you need to be able to bring in a B plus guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, that that's what we're looking for, I think, in this draft. And it, it's it's just not easy to keep a team, you know, together and and have that quality throughout the roster. So you you really have oh. to give Andrew Barry credit because guys get expensive. If guys are good backups, they're going to leave and get a payday somewhere else. And you have to continually be able to have the you know the the wisdom and and you know, and the ability to bring in guys who can can keep the roster at that level. Right. So, you know, and it's something that we it's something we haven't even been close to in Cleveland before. We're right. talking about bringing in good backups, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of just it's. it's well, it's we, we've, we've it's seen a, it with the signings this year um, and, and Clowney's just the latest one, but. Um, you know, the reason that, that these guys are signing here is because they believe that the Browns will win. You know, that that just wasn't an option in the past. You know, not not to mention the fact that you know, in a COVID year, we're getting these guys at discounts. OK, I mean, they're, yeah. they're coming here because they want to win. And, you know, you, you've now established that as part of your business model as well. I think, you know, two years now we've seen that this is how Andrew Berry's going to operate. You know, when there's an area of need, he's going to go out and find free agents on team-friendly prove-it deals to hold down that position. Um, and, and you know what? It, it may be that, you know, left defensive end or, or edge is just one of those positions that you know, every year we bring in whatever guy, you know, we like that year in the free agent market. And we, we may never have a long-term guy over there, you know, just well, as an yeah. example, you know? Well, yeah, because you think about it, you, you take a, you take a, another defensive end in the first round and, and in five years, you're paying them huge money again, you know, whereas they're bringing these guys in on pretty good deals. Right. So, um, you know, the, the financial side of it, again, is something we've never really had to look at because the Browns just, you know, they would just let the let these guys walk because they were continuously rebuilding. Yeah. So now you've got these decisions to make. And, and uh, you know, speaking of speaking of finances and, and decisions that, uh, you know, Andrew Berry made a statement with Sheldon Richardson. You know, I, so I, yep. I don't know what all went on there. I assume they tried to get him to restructure. They must have at least talked to him, and he must have said no. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know how many chances they gave him. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> all right, we'll see you then. Right. So uh, they, they're making it sound like, uh, you know, like the door's open. So I, I don't know if they're if they're talking about bringing him back already or, you know, if he's looking around and, and the Browns already made him an offer or whatnot. Um, you know, he'd, he'd certainly be uh, – a good guy to have back. And, and if the Browns bring him back, uh, you know, I, again, don't know if this would happen before draft day or not. So, um, yeah, so no, draft, I think go at ahead. this point, they're probably going to wait until after the draft 
Yeah, and, so the draft see could, where the rest of these guys settle out. Yeah, so the draft could could impact whether he, he even has a spot on you know available to him or not. So yeah. Um, do you think any of the other guys uh, you know who are in a similar position to Sheldon Richardson with the with these big contracts you know who uh, who the Browns could clear some salary cap with? Uh, you think any of them are in danger this season, Jeff? Um. Well, we've we've talked before about David and Joku. Um, you know, he's he's got got a pretty significant bump this year at the six million somewhere in that range. Um, yeah, I, I I would have to look. I'm, my understanding is that that money is pretty much guaranteed now, or or more of the majority of it is. Yeah, we're probably past the, the window, right? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. so. So I think okay. he's pretty much here now. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at where we were last year versus this year, um, Andrew Berry has has pretty much taken money that was committed last year and committed it again this year. Um, Mm -hmm. He hasn't really gone, you know, and that was part of the reason for, um, I think, the Richardson move was, you know, he wanted to maintain that flexibility because we were we were pretty much capped out. Um, before that move, you know, by the time yeah. you, yeah. by the time you sign all of the rookie pool and, you know, take care of everything else leading up to, um, the start of the season, um, we had no more flexibility. So I, you know, it depends if, if they see somebody else out there, um, uh, after the draft that it really feels like they need this year to contend um you know if if they don't get the right couple of guys at the top of the draft um if you know something else causes the plan to go off the rails um you know there may be another move down the road that would necessitate them going back and and um renegotiating with somebody um like Jarvis Landry yeah. Um, yeah. You know, to to change the structure of the deal, and I think the way they're doing it now is is interesting with with voidable years, um, where it really doesn't change the money that the player gets. It just sort of is an accounting trick. Kind of um, but the NFL, yeah, yeah, the NFL has said that's okay. So, um, uh, you know, they, they so push the some of that money cap? out to later. <laughs> the salary cap is really imagine, you know, an imaginary thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it pushes that money out to later so that, you know, it doesn't affect you this year, but it's kind of like, you know, taking out a loan. Eventually it comes yeah. due, you know. So, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't think there's anybody else right now that it looks like they're going to cut or, you know, make a move like that with. Um, but we'll have to see how the draft how the draft pans out and what the roster looks like after that. Yeah, but like you say, there's always guys. There's always some guys out there available, and, and if something comes up, you know, or if uh, if the right guy is willing to sign the right deal, you know, to where they think it'll help them, um, you right. never know. Never know. Yeah, it Yeah, particularly this season. Yeah, it's so kind you, of. The, go ahead. I was gonna say, do you want to hear my idea of a perfect draft? Um, sure, sure. Let's hear it. <laughs> 
All right, so we talked a little bit about the, the two scenarios for the, the, the top two picks and assuming we don't move. Um, I think when 26 rolls around, the decision is going to be between the top defensive tackle on the board and the top cornerback on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go defensive tackle um, at 26, you're going cornerback at 59 and vice versa. Okay, so I think the guys that that we're looking at there, um, I've seen some mocks where Christian Barmore falls to us. I think if that happens, it's a no brainer to take him at 26. Um, Yeah, yeah, I think so. I I think it's probably uh, I I don't know, even though there's there's 20 percent chance, maybe. Right. There, there's questions about him and, and so forth, but, you know, he just projects as as one of these freak talents that you build your offensive line around. And, you know, with with Miles at the edge and, and him in the middle, you know, we can have a lot of flexibility with, you know, who plays that other uh, defensive end spot. Right. Going forward. Um, yeah. So. If, yeah. if that happens, um, you know, then I think, um, or, or, or if he's not there, the, the number two guy, Levi on with Zurique, um, is there, I think he's worth taking at 26 as well. Um, if yeah. that happens, then we're looking at somebody like, um, you know, I mentioned, uh, Melifonwu, Joseph Stokes might still be there at the end of the second round. Uh, he kind of roller coastered a bit after his pro day. Um, Tyson Campbell, the other guy from Georgia, or the guys right. that, that Emery mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, th- that pretty much for me s- solidifies the, the first couple of picks, unless something else comes up. Like, um, you know, if, if Greg Rousseau is still there at 26, I might have a hard time passing on him. Just from yeah. the standpoint that, um, you know, he could be our answer at edge. He could also be our answer at tackle, uh, depending on how he evolves over the next couple of years. Does he add some weight? You know, he's played inside. Um, okay. Think think of him in an Aaron Donald type role, but a guy who's six seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, so uh, that's that's just one wild card that, that I would have a hard time thinking about. Okay, if if he dr- was to drop, I don't think he will. I think he's going to go in the teens. Um, so then that leaves us at at, at our third round pick of of um, uh, the first third round pick of eight at eighty nine. Mm-hmm. I think the decision there uh, is going to revolve around four positions. It's going to be, uh, and you could sort of lump eighty nine, ninety one, and one ten together with these four positions. Linebacker, safety, offensive line, and wide receiver. If a yeah. wide receiver is there, um, like Diami Brown or Nico Collins, one of those guys that that we would consider a solid number two guy or maybe even a potential number one down the road, then you probably take him um, at 89. Yeah, if we so. don't like our choices for wide receiver, um, there are – Good options, or I think there will be good options there um, at safety and O-line. Um, unless there's a linebacker that, that you know, Andrew Berry's really in love with. Um, Surratt, I don't think he's going <laughs> to – I don't think he's going to go early. I, th- I think teams just don't have enough tape on him. 
for him to go that early. So um, he's probably going to be down around that 110 pick. A um, couple of guys we've talked about a little bit, I think it's safety. Um, Cisco, um, Andre Cisco is, is a true free safety, mm-hmm. uh, coverage safety, um, coming off of a uh, an ACL that um, maybe he projects for next year. Um, or another guy I like yeah. is uh, um, I have a hard time saying, saying his name, Talanoa Hufanga um, out of USC, is, a, is sort of a guy who could play either position. And the, the flexibility, like, like Grant Delpit, um, I think is a nice insurance card um, if he's sitting there. Um, if none of those guys are there, then I think we're going to go find that, that offensive lineman. Um, that we're going to um, groom as our sixth man to be sort of a, a jack of all trades on that line. Um, what another thing um, we can feel pretty confident about uh, saying is that when our line was missing somebody last year, it affected the outcome of the game. So how nice would it be to have a sixth guy? that we could feel good about stepping in. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the, those are the four positions that I see us looking for a guy uh, with those middle picks in the third and early fourth round. Um, I think um, at, at the end of the fourth, um, we're probably looking for whichever of those guys we didn't get. Um in a, in a more of a project type player. Um, it may be that we find a receiver down there. If the guy we liked or the guys we liked weren't there earlier, um, a couple of those, um, offensive tackles will probably go in the later rounds as well. Um, and then there's, there's some interesting things to think about as we get to the end of the draft. Okay. Um, you asked about who might be in danger of um, being a cap casualty. Well, not this year, but next year, um, Case Keenum is a guy that we're probably going to be moving away from. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Right? And, and, and I think they, might, they yeah. might even do it this year if it wasn't such a big uh, dead money hit. Okay, so yeah, I think they're into dead money now. I'd have to look at his contract, but I think it's after this year. I think they're probably good. Right, that's what that's what I mean. Is is we're we're gonna we're probably gonna ride through this year with him, but why not consider a guy late in this draft to be our backup next year? Not a guy that we want to come in and and groom to be a starter. Okay. But a guy who we feel could be a solid backup for us going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy named uh, Jamie Newman who played a couple seasons at Wake Forest, transferred to Georgia last year, uh, and then opted out. So he never played uh, for Georgia, uh, sat out last year. Um, big, strong kid, good arm, a little bit erratic. Um but what was the, the number one thing that, that Baker struggled with last year? It was fourth and short, right? <laughs> I 
How many times did Baker uh, the bounce fumble. off the yeah. line yeah. fourth and Bumble. short? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to have a big, solid backup quarterback to come in? Even if everybody in the new world knew what was coming, it'd be kind of like those old Johnny Evans days, right? <laughs> you see, you see yeah. Jamie Newman yeah. come up to the line knowing that we're running it down your throat right now. <laughs> we're getting that six inches. Okay. Well, that's that's the point. When you have a good good offensive line and the right guys there, you should be able to get that every single time. It shouldn't be an issue. Sometimes it's just a matter of the the leg drive of the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but anyway, um, I see that as, as as another area where you know we could maybe find a guy late in this draft that that would fill that role for us. If not this year, it's going to happen next year. Um, right. Right. I don't see him going out and, and signing a free agent quarterback next year, unless again the the sky falls and you know Baker gets injured or something. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, the other thing is um, at the end of the draft, I'm, I'm probably going to take another cornerback or safety just for depth. Um, I don't think you can ever have too many of them. Um, oh, I agree. And, I agree. And there's some interesting guys, you know, down at the bottom of the draft. Um, but one guy I've looked at, and, and this is something I don't really understand. Maybe, you know, you can enlighten me on it, but why don't teams draft kickers? <laughs> uh, kickers have to be really, really good to get drafted. I, I don't know. You know it, it, to, to me, it seems like there there are always a lot of experienced kickers. There is such a surplus of kickers sitting around who have NFL experience. Yeah, but, but just aren't on rosters. Like, uh, <laughs> well, I know, but uh, you know, right? it must not be as easy as it looks. That's all I can say. So, so why who are, draft? Who are somebody? we always counting on at the end of the game to <laughs> to kick a fifty yard field goal to win? I mean, how many games end on a last second field goal? Um, too a many. lot. Too many. Right? Quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, that's that's kind of what the NFL has become. It's who scores last, right? So, well, I mean, that always boils down to a kicker, you know? Um, and and the, the kicker is sort of like the, you know, the, the journeyman uh, pickup that, you know, is one of the last guys you, you decide to put on the roster, you know? Well, and I'm, I've always, it's always kind of confused me, you know? It why, happens why, that way in fantasy, too. <laughs> Nobody takes a kicker till the end. You want to you right. want to really mess somebody up? Draft a kicker in the first round in fantasy. Everybody be looking at you like what? Right, Sebastian Janikowski. <laughs> yeah, unless, unless um, that's what I was going to say. Unless you're Sebastian Janikowski, you're not getting. Right. You're probably not getting drafted. He was right. drafted in what the second or third round? I think it was a first rounder up for the Raiders. Was it first? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I knew yeah. It was he high. shocked the world. They shocked the world by taking a kicker in the first round. Yeah. Well, he but, turned I mean, out to be a pretty look, damn good kicker. Pretty damn good kicker, right? Right. Yeah. Um, Kicked the so, hell out so of the ball for a long time. There, there are a couple of really strong-legged kickers in this draft, or who are draft eligible, who probably won't get drafted at all. Okay. But with our last pick, two fifty-seven. Okay. Do we go out and get a guy that we're probably just going to cut anyway, or do we draft a kicker, keep him on the practice squad, you know, for when that hiccup eventually comes that our kicker loses confidence. Um, and we don't have to worry about losing a, a game at the end because our kicker can't make a 35 yard field goal. 
right? Huh. So I don't know. For me, I'd, I'd be looking at I'd be looking more at kickers with these late picks. I, I would say that the Browns are in, in more of a position than most teams to draft a kicker because of that pick being near the very end of the draft. Most, yeah. the, the chances of other kickers being picked ahead of that, very slim. And right. the Browns want competition. So if they don't use that pick somewhere else, and, and that pick has almost no value. That pick has right. one point worth of value. So, <laughs> right. so, um, so it's you know it, it can help them move up, or, or they can trade it out for a seventh rounder next year, um, you know, or maybe a sixth. It would make sense, uh, you know. It's yeah. a good, it's a good thought for them to to use that on a kicker, or you know, or on a, you know, or on a third corner, or on a second wide receiver to bring somebody in. Yeah. I definitely agree with you there. Guy's gonna be on the practice squad anyway, right? So, I don't know. Made sense to me. Yeah. No. No. I I agree with you. Definitely. Definitely. Um. Yeah. Shoot, I had something else, and now it slipped my mind, which isn't unusual. But uh, I want to talk about uh, Clowney real quick here. Um, yeah. I, oh, um, actually, before that, I, I know what I was going to ask you is um, the Browns, uh, you know, we talked about Wyatt Teller, J.C. Treader. Now, we've been concentrating on this uh, tackle position, but you, you even talked about it with Emery a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. An interior offensive lineman. Um what are your thoughts on, on Josh Myers out of Ohio State? And I'm bringing Josh Myers up for a couple of reasons. He's he's Ohio State. He's also from Miamisburg, which which is okay. the town over where I used to live. Um, you know, I know some people who know him and stuff. Um, but he started out as a guard at Ohio State, uh, moved to center. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's a mauler. He's 6'5", 312. Um, you know, he's he's not going to tap dance. He's going he's gonna He's going to maul people down, you know, picturing him like Wyatt Teller type of guy, you know, not comparing him to Wyatt Teller, but, you know, I think he's closer to that mold than he is to a finesse guy. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think he's projected kind of third, fourth round. So what are your, what are your thoughts on him? You know, if, if he's there at the right spot as a, as a uh, developmental guy for Browns. Here's the, the problem I have is that, um, when, when we look at developmental offensive linemen, we're typically looking at tackles moving into guard, not vice versa. And yeah. to really yeah. to really be able to give yourself flexibility, I think the Browns have a lot of guards right now on the roster um, yeah. that that can play, uh, that have played. Um, yeah. Not necessarily someone who can step in for one of our starters. Um, I don't know if Nick Harris is in that conversation yet. Um, but um, I see the immediate need at tackle this year. Um, and oh, I'm talking taking him in addition to a tackle. Yeah. Yeah. Not, so, so, you know, oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and anytime I've gone through um, the mocks, I've looked at, all offensive linemen, um, and if if we're into those later rounds, and you know we've got pretty much our needs addressed, or we just don't like guys that are there uh, for any of our needs, 
um, then yeah, I would I would definitely look to interior linemen. I think you know we we're going to have a need there. Yeah, not this year probably, but I, probably next year or the year after we're going to have a need there. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean if 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 he's there in that in those mid round picks and there's just you know nobody else that we like, or if he drops down to you know one of the four or five. our late fourth or our fifth, okay, yeah for sure. Um, I think that'd be a great pickup. Yeah, I, I think he's a guy who could start, you know, and, and uh, you know, relatively quickly at center or guard. Yeah, is my thought. So, if that's okay. the case, he's probably going to be gone in the third round. Yeah, I think he's projected in the third round, but you never know. I mean, you know, he a guy who played, who successfully played guard and and center at Ohio State. You know, right. um, you right. know, he should be pretty highly regarded. So we'll see. He may go yeah. to the top of the third round, but uh, yeah. just kind of want to get your thoughts. He's not a name who I've heard really anybody talk about. Mm-hmm. So, um, Clowny signs, uh, you know, and uh, I think you and I talked about this a little bit, um, you know, with especially with uh, Sheldon Richardson being cut. Uh, whether Clowney's going to play some inside, whether Miles might play a little bit inside, you know, what the Browns are going to do. And um, I don't know if you heard, uh, did you did you hear the press conference today with uh, um, Stefanski? No. Okay, he had his press conference today, and, and Fred Greetham actually asked him about that. And it's a press conference, so he really didn't get a good answer, I don't think, but... Um, he did ask him about that. So we were, we're, I thought it was kind of cool. We we're all kind of thinking the same thing. Um, you know, are, are we going to see Miles and Clowney, you know, and, uh, um, um, you know, are, are we going to see three defensive ends out there along with, uh, you know, with one defensive tackle or, or maybe even, you know, a five-man front at times, mm-hmm. I think is mm-hmm. the thought. So, um Definitely, definitely interesting there. Yeah, depending on how the draft unfolds, um, there are a lot of ways that that Joe Woods could go with some of these hybrid guys, um, yeah. depending on you know who we end up taking. Um, and and I think you know just like we've seen in the past, you know, despite our best efforts to to diagnose exactly what the Browns are going to do in the draft. We're probably not going to be right about any of them. So <laughs> it, it's, you know, it's going to be no, a question we, of how do they deploy the people that they end up with? Right. We, we don't even know what they think they need right now. <laughs> right. right. We don't. Um, which is really good. I mean, compared to the past when, you know, there were all kinds of, you know, media leaks and so forth. Um, they're, they play, they're playing it really close to the vest now. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Zayvon Collins, the conversation that we had with Emery on him was interesting. Um, you know, he's one of those examples of a guy who can sort of change the way your defense plays. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, he's a guy that can put his hand in the dirt and move Clowney inside. You know, I mean, are we, are we thinking Curtis Weaver's going to do that? Maybe. I, I don't know. You know, but um, 
I, I think the more tools that, that Joe Woods has and the more options he has, um, the more potentially hard our defense is to, to diagnose and, and figure out. And I think those are all really positive things. I think what we saw last year was a very predictable, very safe NFL defense that was driven by the personnel that we had. Um, hopefully yeah. this year and then succeeding years, the defense starts to take on more of a personality. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see who gets shots and who, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it depends who gets, who gets, uh, which positions they draft if some of these guys even get a shot. So, yeah, exactly. It's very, very interesting. But, yeah, uh, will be. Uh, just want to mention, you know, I, I, I tweeted a picture of my beer fridge a couple of days ago, and <laughs> I had a lot of people because I just restocked it. Um, you know, it's getting. I say it's getting warm out. We're expecting like three inches of snow tonight now. Yeah. So um, yeah, fun stuff. Um, but a lot of people ask me about this uh, Hoppin' Frog Mango Turbo Shandy Citrus mm. Ale, which um, which I got as a birthday gift, and I hadn't even had one yet. So I had one tonight, and it's a good drink, guys. Um, I got to be honest, it doesn't taste like a beer to me. It tastes mm. almost like... It, Juice. it tastes like a kind of like a mixed kind of like a mixed uh, drink, like a kind of yeah. closer to a uh, like a like an orange. Um, what do we want to say? A, a, an orange daiquiri or something like that, maybe. Wow. You know, I mean, it, it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it it tastes good. I, I liked it, but um, didn't really have a whole lot of beer taste to me. So it depends what you like. If you're if you're a strict beer drinker. And and you don't like stuff that's fruity or or you know is like too far out of balance from being a beer, you're not gonna like this. But if you're if you're into trying different drinks and stuff, and just like really good flavors and things, you'll probably love this. So, um, it, you know, it, it all depends. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a different kind of a different kind of a beer though. Nice. Uh, of course, it's it's a shandy. It's not a beer, so I guess I'm, I guess yeah. I should say that. Well, so. you know, we get past this last little cold snap here, and um, I'll probably start joining you uh, in a beer um, on these nights. But um, I don't have a lot out in the fridge right now, so I'm gonna have to go out and pick some things uh, up. Well, since you're not on Twitter, I'll have to I'll shoot you the picture I have so you can see my. There style. you go. And, Good. Uh, all right. Well, we've been going at it for a while. I think we've. Uh, it was great talking with Emery and uh, getting some yeah. stuff out there. We had a had a lot of fun kicking some of this other stuff around, and we and we've got you on record, Jeff, as far as what your perfect draft is. So we're not uh, we're not too far away. we're not too far away from the draft. So, um, right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, any uh, anything you want to close with, Jeff? Yeah, I just I want to tell everybody um, out there that's listening that um, my my first experience in, in doing an interview tonight um, gave me a newfound respect for what you do 
every week, Rod. Um, <laughs> I'm a commentator. I have opinions. I don't ask people questions. Um, it's not as easy as you make it sound. Um, well. <laughs> so you you may have you may have sort of set me up for that, but that's fine. I I, I appreciate what you do. Well, thanks, Jeff. I, you know what? I um, the only way the only way I, I learned how to do this was by doing it. You know, I was not anybody who could interview anybody when I started doing this. And in fact, it'd probably be fun for me to go back and listen to the first couple of these I did and, and just to hear how bad I was at it. So <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- I thought you did a great job and we got some got some great information from memory. So. So, uh, Great. Well, thanks. So, yeah. So ni- nice work, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna close up shop. Uh, this has been the Browns Blitz, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>